0: Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Yuki Dragon. Everyone has faced the problem. What gift to choose? What gift to give yourself when you're sitting at home? What gift to give others? Whether it be a friend, a parent, a wife, a husband. What gift do you give to your children or even a colleague at work? Well, if you want to give somebody the gift of surprise, maybe even the gift of novelty, or a gift that has that wow factor... Why not choose Uni Dragon wooden puzzles? Because they will solve your problem. Why do people love Uni Dragon puzzles so much? Because each puzzle has its own unique shape. It's interesting for adults and for children. Each puzzle is packed in a premium wooden gift box, and new puzzles are released every month. Also, with these enthralling puzzles, is an incredible, colorful design as well. So if you go to Unidragon.com and use the promo code POWER10, you'll get 10% off your order. That is Unidragon.com. Use that promo code POWER10 and you will be enthralled by the greatest puzzles of all time. Unidragon. Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering you 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com and use the promo code OMEO5 at checkout. That's O-M-I-O-5 at checkout. This is valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up that 2021 needs. Omeo, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is, one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling i am your host jp john Paz. with me today is a very special guest he's a former czw triple crown champion of course he was the head referee over at nxt you may know him as drake younger but he is of course drake wards drake welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling how are you doing hey, john very grateful to be here thanks for having me man so what's going on what have you been up to i know uh you know
1: sometimes the center of controversy but what what have you been going like what's been going on in your world <laughs> Man, I am uh, adjusting to a brand new life. A little bit of civilian life, still dipping my toes and wrestling a little bit here and there. Uh, but man, I am I am enjoying. I am enjoying my family. Uh, as a lot of people know, I'm a father of three. I live in Florida. I'm getting involved locally and in some, um, some activities as well. And then, you know, starting some new careers. God's just opening so many doors for me. I, I am somewhat involved in pro wrestling. There's times where I, I will tell myself I'm never going to wrestle again. But, I, you know, I, I've been active in the business for 20 years. So it's always going to be a part of me. So anytime that I have the opportunity to give back to where it makes sense, I'm there.
0: You were wrestling, right? Didn't I see you recently wrestling for uh, Pro Wrestling 2.0? Or I thought I saw you wrestling somewhere in Florida.
1: Yeah, I've actually had a couple of matches. I uh, I ran an event, a benefit event at the 2.0 Wrestling School. It was it was very incredible the way it worked out. It was actually a benefit to raise funds for victims of the survivors of human trafficking here in Central Florida, which is a very passionate ministry of mine. And I was able to you know bring a lot of folks from the wrestling community together for an incredible cause. Sold out, um, raised a great amount of money for for that ministry. Um, so that was a great like great way to have a first match back after seven years to do it for a good cause you know that was near and dear to my heart and then actually as we're recording this yesterday i wrestled in pompano beach for daily wrestling um and uh, i i had the opportunity to be in the ring with a young man named luke curtis Uh, he's definitely somebody to keep your eyes out on um awesome time it was it was really fun we had ourselves a barn burner a lot of great talent on the show um, but I got to tell you, man, at my, at my age, it, <laughs> I feel it a lot more the next the next day than I did when I was a young twenty two year old deathmatch extraordinaire.
0: Yeah, really. I mean, you have been refing right for the last God knows how many years for NXT. You haven't even technically been in the ring wrestling, so you got to have some ring rush going on.
1: Yeah, seven years. The, the good thing though about my time in NXT, I was literally in the ring every single day, uh, learning. Not only just refing, but all aspects of the business. And of course, I've always, you know, ever since I've, uh, you know, for the past eight years or so, uh, I've been really into physical fitness. So I've always stayed in shape. It's there was no issue there in that regard. Uh, it's just kind of getting used to taking the bumps again.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, I could see that. Uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, with you, and, and we were even talking about this, you know, maybe a few weeks ago, or whatever you were saying, you're a little bit of a heat magnet, and uh, you got some heat going on w- with uh, with wrestling. But let's talk about just because I wanted to mention this because I thought it was funny that people didn't realize this, the Joey Janela thing, right, where where he goes to the, the I guess it's like not the parent teacher's council, but the the town hall when he was school there, board. You, school, the board school board, means- yeah, yes, exactly. Did he
1: like? Talk to you beforehand. Did you know he was going to be there? <laughs> no, I didn't know he was going to be there, but I certainly knew it was Sam Wright when he came in. Uh, so, look, if if you look in, if you're paying attention at all to what's going on in the country, there is a school board revolution going on. Essentially, uh, I think you know through the past year and a half or so, parents are waking up to the tyranny that's going on within the public school system. The teachers' unions are have have really played their hands and we've seen in a lot of instances where these school boards, they don't have the best interests of the children at hand. Uh, They're, Paying more attention to to the interests of the school boards and the teachers union, or to the teachers unions, um, and we saw that with the, the forcing the masks on children, or the, the radical sexual education that they're pushing in the schools, this this social justice nonsense, all that stuff. So parents are waking up and they're speaking out, and and you know me as an active member of my community who speaks up for children, I've been involved in that, and we got the the, the mask mandate lifted off, and, and 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 all that. Like it's just been really incredible to see a local community come together and rise up for such important issue and to hold these school boards accountable because they are elected officials. They work for us. Um, but I saw Joey come in in his little costume gimmick. Knew it was him. So I, he sat down and I, I got up across the room and sat down right next to him. And uh, I like, hey, Joey, how you doing, buddy? And he's like, oh, hey, man, hey, hey. Uh, he's like, hey, can we take a picture? So, you know, he took his little picture and then he, he made a scene. He almost got tased by one of the Seminole County sheriffs. <laughs> Whoa. I saw this shit, the female sheriff reaching for a taser. I was like, oh, God, Joey's going to get tased right here. But, look, Joey and I were on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I have no ill will toward him. Uh, he hes lives how he lives. I live how I live. Um, you know, back in the day before I went to WWE when I was on the deathmatch scene and I was around him, always always cool, always respectful. Um, look, he's going to do whatever he's going to do to get over it is what it is it's it's not my concern uh, my concern are more important matters right now
0: right i just couldn't believe the internet like thought that he was tricking him i was like wait a second i was like he's known him for like has to be over 10 years so i was like there's yeah. no way that you didn't know it was him but a lot of people online were like oh he tricked him i was like no i bet you he asked for the picture and you probably didn't care because you thought it was funny like okay yeah yeah,
1: yeah. yeah i kind of appreciated that he that he he made a gimmick out of like a Uh, He was like trying to be a redneck conservative or something, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's how he views all conservatives are. Maybe that's the narrative that he's trying to push. Who knows? But no, I knew Joey Janela when he was jumping Joey Janela in PWS back in the day or ICW New York or whatever it was. Um, So, no, I, I, of course, I knew it was him. I've taken a lot of chair shots, but I'm not stupid people.
0: They were like, oh, he, he pulled I mean, obviously he pulled the prank on, on the school board, obviously. But I was like, he definitely didn't and I was thinking, I was like, oh, maybe they kind of not we're in on it together, but like, you know, you, you knew about it. There's there's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. could tell like, like I said, my pick- main
1: focus there was was speaking up for the children. We got we got the the edict passed that needed to be passed. Uh, so it is what it is at that point. But no, I I was definitely not in on it.
0: Were you mad that he was doing that? Like that he was playing that prank, that he was doing that there, or are you just like, yeah, once he's done, we'll we'll get to serious business?
1: No, because it was our, what we had already spoken our piece and everything. So I mean, part of me kind of feels sorry for him in a sense that he's he's taken such his own personal time to to be involved in something like that. But if he if he gets if he gets some kind of shove out of it, whatever, that's great not mad like i said i almost he almost got tased and arrested i would have felt bad for him then but dude i have no ill will towards joey
0: now as far as just kind of turning back the clock and and just talking about obviously death matches you were a death match wrestler did you happen to see kind of what happened this weekend with game changer wrestling and um Matt Cardona wins the title formerly Zach Ryder beats Nick Gage they start throwing the trash in the ring did you happen to catch uh, that that video
1: uh I did not catch the video I just saw briefly on Instagram that that uh Cardona won the championship which is it was crazy just to see him all bloody and cut up I mean I worked with him for a, a long time in WWE and uh, it was just such it was like is this really really happening like <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, he's, Zack Ryder's doing death matches? Like, this is crazy. Uh, but no, I I didn't catch the video of it, but no. I, I'm honestly, I, I'm so not inside the wrestling bubble. I'll just kind of catch what goes on Instagram here and there. I mean, I have so much going on in my life, other uh, otherwise outside of wrestling.
0: Because I, I just was kind of wondering your thoughts, because they were throwing the trash in the ring, and they were throwing all the bottles at him and stuff like that. You think that's a little too crazy or is that perfect as far as like heat magnet? He got the desired reaction because it was a shocking win. He beat their champion. Oh, they threw bottles at him? Yeah. So after he won, he won the match. He held up the belt and they started throwing bottles and trash in the ring at him.
1: Full I, force. He, I, you know, on one hand, it's, that's great heat. I mean, that's a genuine reaction, genuine emotion, which a lot of times that's, that's really what you're trying to, that's the result that you're trying to get out of, out of a pro wrestling match, so hats off to him.
0: What do you think about Nick Gage and his uh, sudden er, uh, surge? I guess you could call it of popularity lately. He's got Dark Side of the Ring. He's going to be on AEW. I mean, he's definitely had uh, his surge lately, for sure. But you know
1: him back from uh, CZW days. My God, early two thousands. Oh my gosh, we had a we had a lot of a lot of great matches together. I love Nikki. Uh, one in particular, we had we had a couple nowhere at barbed wire matches, but there was one. April of two thousand eight, that I was—I was very, very proud of. Just and there's, there's something different about when you're in the ring uh, with Nick Gage and you're staring across the ring from him, and he's saying, "Who's the man?" And the, just the crowd is electric, and for whom the bell tolls, hits. So I'm really glad that he is—you know—he's still going. He's still going hard. Um, he's one of the the last guys of that old generation that is still very active in the deathmatch scene, and he's—he's he's really used it to. Boost his platform, everything with Dark Side of the Ring, and, and all the coverage that he's gotten from the mainstream media. That stuff with David Arquette. Now, I'm really happy for Nikki. I was, you know, it was it was unfortunate when he went away for a while. Um, you know, I always tried to stay in contact with him, wrote him some wrote him some letters, and and tried to show him love because I always appreciated what he did for me in my career. Um, he really he gave me a lot of time that I didn't hadn't necessarily earned uh, during that during that period of my life. And he was he trusted me in the ring. Uh, and you know, he if it wasn't for guys like Nick Gage and Necro Butcher, I definitely would not have went to the heights that I did in Deathmatch Wrestling.
0: With Nick, can you see like why he's popular? Because you know, let's say like a non fan or something, like wow, this guy's got like a cult following. Like when he comes out, right. the crowd like ambushes him, like in a good way. Like they're they're like all over and they're hype for him. Uh, the yeah. MDK stuff for somebody who's not a fan of him or not a fan of death Rose, can you explain like his popularity is like, well, wow,
1: who is this guy? Why the hell does he have a cult following? What, like, what, what is this like hidden charisma of this guy? Yeah. Like you said, Nick has that natural charisma when he comes out, he, you know, he's, he's not like super huge, intimidating physically. He has this aura about him, but he looks like, um, you know, like he could be somebody that's from the crowd. So he, he represents, the common people, the working class, the muscular class. A lot of times nowadays, you know, there's like the the Zoom and Skype class of people. But Nick represents the working man, the people that that go to work every day. They got dirt under their fingernails. Um, And and so they can kind of see a piece of themselves in him. And he's fired up and he's hyped up. You know, he doesn't censor what he says. You know, he'll he'll curse all day. And that's how a lot of people, um, you know, they, they, they get they get emotion out of that. And so when he comes out and he's got the bandanas and Metallica's blasting, it's just, it's the perfect storm of, of people just getting riled up and excited to see some, you know, some violent pro wrestling. Obviously it's not for everybody. It's, you know, it's an adult oriented kind of product uh, in that regard for what Nikki's going towards. But, and Nikki just has that energy, and he's always been that way. Like we, I remember putting matches together with him. He would get so excited and and get fired up, and and man, he was just incredible to work with. And and his his character is something else because it's it's just him, and he turns it up like ten degrees.
0: Can you believe that he's gone mainstream pretty much with the Arquette stuff, with the now AEW, with. A game Changer even got, you know, went viral with, with a lot of this stuff with him. And Dark Side of the Ring, are you shocked with his kind of uh, mainstream popularity, so to speak?
1: No, not at all. Nikki's always been a star. He just needed the, he just needed the platform to uh, to be able to show that.
0: Now, with him mm-hmm. and him, him doing all this Deathmatch stuff, do you think Deathmatch will become more mainstream, or do you think that's more of a niche?
1: Mm, it's definitely gaining a lot more popularity than than i would have ever expected it to do so you know in the mid-2000s whenever i was in the midst of it you know full-blown full-time each and every single weekend doing three or four death matches a weekend um i i never thought that like there would be clips of deathmatch wrestling on mainstream television or that you know a deathmatch show would regularly draw multiples of thousands of people. Uh, other than in Japan, when I went to Japan, like it, it was mainstream over there, and it still is. It's always been respected, and you know, it's 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 held to a certain higher degree over there. Uh, but that thing that's that's kind of starting to infiltrate over here in the United States. So uh, it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, I I don't know, like this generation of deathmatch guys, I don't know how they have really taken it to a whole nother level, um, you know. But uh, yeah, man hats off to him what
0: is the infatuation with the light tubes
1: <laughs> um you know they have a a, a cool visual to make a loud noise and if you're good and creative you can come up with some pretty pretty unique scenarios to use the light tubes in so you know it's just they, they look they have this aura and presence and they look dangerous and they are dangerous you know light tubes have sent me to the hospital a couple of times
0: is it the shards of glass is it like the yes. the toxins yes. that are in it too and
1: no the right? the shards of glass you know the little ones that are on the mat they can cut you up real easy so
0: yeah man i can i could see it being a, a bit dangerous cuz you see even some of the guys they'll have 3 of them and they'll tape them together and then like mm-hmm. i think that's what cardona did taped four of them together and used it as a bat and you know, obviously yeah. four of them I mean, I obviously creates a crazy visual and it's loud. But, right. oof, I don't know where, where did Cardona that
1: light from? tubes. Yes. yes. Wow.
0: Yes. For the finish on Nick, yeah.
1: Wow! Holy cow!
0: Ricky Shane Page like helped him a little bit. They kicked Nick in the balls and yeah, and, and it kind of went off for there. But you know, he's a heel. <laughs> he's going to get some help to win.
1: Holy cow! Cardona's doing light tubes. What a life! That's pretty, awesome.
0: Pretty crazy. And then he was in yeah. Disneyland. Uh, Disneyland <laughs> yeah. the day after. <laughs> Wow, he had this it's really serious. bad, uh, long like scar on his back. You could tell, and it, he was showing his hotel bed covered in blood, I guess, from where he was laying down. So he yeah. it. Oh.
1: been there, done that. That's not fun.
0: But David Arquette has said he regrets doing the death match, he didn't know what it entailed. I mean, mm-hmm. is that something that? You hear all the time, like uh, I wasn't really sure what the deathmatch culture was or what deathmatches matches are, because man, you I mean you're getting lit up bad.
1: Yeah, whenever I was in it, and, and some people would, they would do a deathmatch tournament here and there. Uh, it's either one of two ways: they're either they either do it, they fall in love with it, and they just want to do deathmatches, matches, or they're like, I never want to do that again. That hurts really bad, and we get cut really bad, really fast. So it's either one extreme or the other.
0: How did you get into? Like the deathmatch culture. I know you came up in the early 2000s. How How'd you end up getting into like CZW and deathmatches and and that type of wrestling?
1: Yeah, well, you know, as a lot of kids from my generation, we, you know, I fell in love with ECW when I was exposed to it right away. So that was kind of my first taste of of hardcore wrestling, and and then eventually I found the Japanese tapes of of the IWA King of the Deathmatches that was going on over there. Uh, and growing up in the Midwest, I was exposed to being around IWA Mid South uh, in the Louisville, Kentucky area. So I was going there and, and you know, buying VHSs of, of their King of the Deathmatch tournaments. And I broke in, started training. And then in 2006, I remember it was the first time the IWM South was going to have a a 28-man Deathmatch tournament. So they needed more bodies. <clears throat> you know, they needed as many people really from the area that were halfway capable to do it. And I was I was an amateur wrestler, was fairly athletic, certainly not the most athletic guy in the business, but I um, – you know, I thought to myself, like, you know, I can I can I have a decent pain threshold, like maybe I could do some unique kind of stuff and stand out. And so, you know, I just called uh, Ian Rotten, the promoter, and said, hey, you know, I'd love the opportunity to be a part of the King of Death matches. And, and so he said, yeah, sure. Come on in, because I would wrestled for him a, a handful of times here and there before. And uh, did a light tube cage match the first night, and like I was the adrenaline, the reaction from the crowd, I just absolutely fell in love with it. The next day, that morning, um, Ian, the promoter, actually came up to me and he, and he asked me, he said, "Hey, um, would you be willing to do barefoot thumbtacks tonight with J.C. Bailey?" And for those of you that don't know J.C. Bailey, he was like way ahead of his time, incredible deathmatch wrestler. Uh, he had that hybrid style and just had a, a really great charisma about him. Was you know he, he covered multi facets of the audience as far as, as far as appeal. Um, so I had the opportunity to work with him that night and I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it. Like I didn't even think twice about it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I was like, yeah, barefoot thumbtacks, no problem. Yeah, um, but at the time, at the time pause, like, uh, the DVD market was really starting to expand and explode. Like in the, in the early mid two thousands, like everybody was buying wrestling DVDs. Um, and, and, you know, smart mark video and high spots. They were, they were had great distribution. So if you could get on a good, widely distributed uh, show, like the King of the death matches or the Ted Petty imitation or best of the best or whatever it was, chances are a lot of other promoters were going to see that. And they would, and you would get some buzz at the time on the message boards. And then you would, you, your phone would be ringing there soon. Soon thereafter, so I knew if I, if I tore it up with JC Bailey in the Barefoot Thumbtacks match, because not a lot of people were willing to do that, that it could be a good opportunity for me to get to that next level. And lo and behold, um, everything went very well. And two weeks later, I got a call from John Zandig, asked me if I wanted to be a part of the Tournament of Death. Went out, to, drove out to Delaware, um, thirteen hours with no guarantee. Um, wrestled three death matches that day. Next month, had a plane ticket to the ECW arena, so it just it, it all just snowballed, and I ha- I was fortunate enough to work with some really talented people, and um, it, it was right place, the right time, and just giving everything of myself, not saying no to anything, willing to do whatever to get myself out there, and I'm really grateful to JC Bailey for that. He's he passed away in 2010. Incredible guy, incredible wrestler. Um, you know, for those of you out there, I highly suggest looking up some of his old matches. He was incredible.
0: Uh, you mentioned Zandig the legendary Zandig what the hell is he like is he seems like he's just absolutely nuts I mean is is
1: Zandig uh, all you know all all he's cracked up to be he's like the he's like the the, he's a big papa bear uh you know what I mean he's he really is he's he's he was always great to me always straight up always very you know always very respectful um And whenever you worked for him, if he asked you to do something crazy, you knew that he wouldn't ask you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. Um, But like every now and again, it would get real awkward. Like he'd be like, uh, hey, you can you can you do this off the top of the cage? And you come up with like an alter suggestion be like, oh, well, what if we like go off the top rope and we go through like more light tubes? And he'd like sit there and look at you for a while. and He'd be like, I think I want you to go off the top of the cage. (laughs) <laughs> okay yes sir no problem <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, I remember no, Z- was super cool i remember
0: damn i forget what show it was but messiah won the title and he yeah. he comes he comes out and i me and my buddy still talk about it to this day we couldn't stop playing he goes messiah i would give you the belt but i forget the name of the company but company screwed me and they never sent me the title belt even though i paid for it so messiah you're the champion but i don't like he's explaining to you like in yeah. front of the whole crowd, that he doesn't have the title belt and get ripped off. I was like, "Who would do that?" But Zandig and be yelling yeah. like, Saya? I wish I had a title for you, but I got screwed." <laughs> there was no blurred lines with Zandig. Just nuts, and and obviously, CCW theme song is very memorable. Are you ready? Oh,
1: yeah, laying the law once again. Yeah,
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, CCW as a whole. Has changed so much over the years, obviously. But at that point, do you think that that was like the high point of CZW? Kind of when you got there, and and obviously uh, a bunch of other guys. Um, uh, what the heck's his name? Uh, the other, but not the other gigantic guy. Damn it, Masada. With the weed, no, with the, Masada, the guy with oh, the weed wife whacker, beater. wife beater. Yes, okay. wife beater, Masada, Zandig. I mean,
1: you were there I think for. A, was kind of there was peaks and valleys of CZW at that time. I think the early 2000s, two thousands, oh two, oh three. Ah, uh, even in '04, on on like on fire. Uh, I got in there in 06, and there was Necro. kind of a transitional period. Uh, but I will tell you what that 2009-2010 roster roster absolutely stacked. I mean, I I, I was there. Fortunately, you had Scotty Vortex. You had the late great Danny Havoc, uh, brain damage. John Moxley, Ego Fantastico, uh, Nick Gage, obviously. Uh, you know, Ruckus, J.C. Bailey, you know, the list goes on. Sammy Callahan. My goodness. I mean, so many Rich Swan, the A.R. Fox. The list goes on and on and on. That roster at that time was absolutely incredible. Bar none, man, it was it was awesome. It was really, really awesome. That was in that was a, a really fun time to be in the business
0: did you ever foresee Moxley becoming kind of as big as he's becoming big star WWE from world champion, AEW world champion at one point you saw that in him? Oh yeah. He, he
1: he set himself apart from everybody back in the day. Absolutely. He just, he, he had, I hate to use the term, but he had that it factor. He really did. Um, He just stood out as far as his promos. He was so creative, even way earlier on, way early on. And you. He kind of gave you this vibe like he didn't know if he was working or if it was a shoot or or what. No. John John is fantastic and um you know, great friend of mine, you know, he was he was in my wedding and got a lot of great memories and we stay close to this day.
0: Didn't realize in the wedding party. Obviously very very good friends with him. Yeah. He's, you know, with AEW, obviously he was on top of the world for a while doing his thing, new yes. Japan on top of the world doing his thing. Did you always think like that the quote unquote deathmatch guy could be, like, even we were talking about before a little bit of Nick Gage, but Moxley even more so, the deathmatch guy being mainstream and, mm-hmm. and being like top of the card guy for, for a national promotion? Is that something that you thought, like, oh, definitely that's going to happen with these deathmatch guys?
1: Uh, no, you know, I, I, I kind of thought we were putting ourselves having a ceiling amongst ourselves, but Moxley broke through and it was cool because he gave everybody else hope. Um, and what was awesome is whenever he got to WWE and eventually when I got there, they they made a point through their website to, to highlight our deathmatch past. And so, you know, it wasn't like they shied away from it. So that was that was really awesome because it gave some legitimacy to to the art form of deathmatch wrestling. And, uh, you know, there was so many times where I got messages from like, oh, man, it's cool. When, you know, some of the deathmatch guys made it up there. So, no, it was it was awesome.
0: How did you get recruited in? Like, who is it? Is it Johnny Ace recruiting you, and how'd you get into no. WWE <laughs> really NXT?
1: Yeah. Uh, I actually, in the summer of 2013, I had winded down on doing death matches. I had been clean and sober for a while at that point, so I was getting myself in really great shape, focusing mainly just on, on the wrestling aspect of things. And I'd never tried to get to WWE at all. So uh, I reached out to get an email for the talent recruiter. Sent an email. I was living in Northern California at the time. Got booked to be an extra on uh, extra talent on Raw and SmackDown. It was in Sacramento and San Jose double shots. And uh, that was during the time when Ryback was doing the bully, the bully bit where he was just, you know, beating up backstage guys. So I played the part of a backstage backstage stage manager, I guess you would say. And uh, Ryback beat me up and he, he, he tossed me over his table. And I was, I thought to myself, I was like, okay, I got this one shot. I'm going to try to take the like nastiest bump that I can possibly take over this table. Um, and so I like landed on my head and, you know, went over tea kettle and went fantastic. Ryback was very appreciative. And then I remember triple H came over and he made a point to, you know, to, to thank me. And then one of the agents was like, Hey, we'll make sure you get a bonus for that. That was good stuff. And I was like, Oh wow, that's very cool. And I was like, Hey, at least I can always say I was got to be on WWE TV once. It was like death match guy. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then, um, Lo and behold, a month later, got an email that I was going to get a trial at the newly opened Performance Center. Um, went there for that. It went very well. I mean, I remember William Regal pulled me to the side. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the conversation was like – He said you know we could bring you in as a as a wrestler and you you might get a good little run he's like i think you would be more beneficial as a referee though you you know you put your body through a lot with all this hardcore stuff and um goes, you've been in the business for a long time i think you can help out a lot of our newer talent in the ring and you can learn some stuff behind the camera and i was dude it, it was crazy the way god god worked it out um because my my wife at the time she was pregnant with our second child and she said, you know, if, if this wrestling stuff doesn't pay off by the end of this year, you, you got to get a nine to five. Like I, you can't be gone all this time coming up all beat up and everything. And, and uh, it worked out to where I still got to stay in wrestling and not and, and do something that hurts a whole lot less. Uh, and so, man, it was just great. God was so good. And um, we moved to Orlando. I got signed as a referee. As they say, the rest is history.
0: Did you think like, wow, at first, like referee, that's kind of like never been a referee for. Why is Regal saying referee? Because going from mm-hmm. a wrestler, death match guy, you know, also, but then referee, I mean, that's kind of a transition, big time transition.
1: It's a big time transition, but no, I didn't think of it as lesser than whatsoever. I, I thought of it as like, okay, this is a challenge. Um, and this is a way for me to provide for my family. And I'm going to, do all the homework and get all the reps that I can to be the best referee that could possibly be. And as far as wrestling goes, I had done literally everything that I ever wanted to do. Uh, you know, I had multiple tours of Japan, multiple tours of, of, of Europe, you know, CZW champ, best of the best tournament of death, King of the death matches TPI had an incredible two year run in PWG. What more was there for me to do? You know, I I was like, let's let's go be a referee for WWE. Let's go do that now. Like, why not? And uh, uh, there was I had no more boxes to check in regards to to being a wrestler, um, and so no, dude, I was I was a hundred percent on board for it. My wife was too.
0: When Regal says that to you, do you ask him like like where did he come up with that from? Why did he think referee? I know you're saying like he he kind of was saying you would be good at, or you could be good at, did he give you any more explanation of like, Hey, why we think you should be a referee.
1: Yeah. Because at the time, a large majority of the talent that they were hiring were coming in with zero wrestling experience, you know, whether they're former football players or uh, actors or, you know, CrossFit people, whatever it may be, they came from a whole nother field. And so being, being in a wrestling ring as is, even with experience at that level in WWE with all the lights and the cameras and the attention to the detail that you have to have and the, you know, the producers calling all this stuff to you and, and, and all that, that's enough pressure as is. But if you've, if you've never been in a wrestling ring before or you're like very green, you need somebody in there to kind of be that player coach to uh to help you out so that was that was kind of my role that he saw me being in where i could be in the ring to be that calling presence to help these new help these new talent and you know i've been in the business for a long time at that point so i could use everything that i learned and uh just learn all the aspects of production and just to be able to to, to help talent out in the ring and. You know I was fortunate enough I learned how to do you know do ring crew and do television timing. Like I, I learned so much during my seven years there.
0: That is pretty interesting and, and a really good thought by that well, you and Regal too. It's like, man, we need a guy who's like a veteran because mm-hmm. we're hiring all these rookies that know nothing. You know what I mean? Like because people don't yeah. realize the importance of the referee, right? I mean, that's always forgotten yeah. with, with and, a lot and, of people
1: in important. 20 and you gotta remember in 20 early 2014, whenever I got signed. This was right before they brought. They started bringing in all the, the independent superstars. I mean, at the time, the only uh, Kevin and Kevin Steen came in a little bit after me. Prince Devitt came in a little bit after me. But really, the only kind of indie stalwarts that they had at that time were um, at the uh, Pac and, and Sami Zayn. What was Pac's name in NXT? Adrian Neville, Adrian yep. Neville and Sami Zayn. That was that was the you know kind of the only two like in, indie dudes that they had. Um, and so it, they weren't signing any guys at a rapid right like they did a few years later. Uh, and so it was I looked at it as a badge of honor and like a challenge and like William Regal trusted me. And uh, like you said, the referee gets their roles get they don't get talked about a lot and they shouldn't be because people don't they don't buy tickets to see referees. But, you know, you got to think when, when we're in there, we have to portray like we are reffing a legitimate fight. Uh, there, there's times where we have to obviously be actors. Uh, we gotta, we gotta relay time communication, uh, anything that's coming through our ear from the producer. As, and uh, the big thing is if they're yelling at you and you have to take that information, process it, relay it in a calm manner to the talent and make sure they hit their television time. And, you know, you gotta worry about the cameras. And if there's, you know, if there's a spot where you're taking a bump, that's in the back of your mind, you want to make that look great. Um, on top of it, you built this ring, so you want to make sure the ring's nice and safe. So there, there's so much that goes into that. Um, it's it, it's really incredible. It's an art form.
0: Who is the person talking to you in the IFB when you have you know the little thing in your ear? Who is the person? Is it Triple H? Is it Regal? Like who is the person in NXT that would be the person in your ear, like the voice of God, if you will?
1: Whoever the producer of the match is, it could be Terry Taylor, it could be Matt Bloom, it could be Sarah Mato. Yeah.
0: So it's probably going to change every match.
1: Yeah, and then, you have, and then you have a person that's doing the timing, uh, which that chair rotated quite a bit. I did it. I did it a few times. It was also could have been Billy Kidman or Scott, um, Scott Armstrong. Uh, yeah. So when you have multiple, you have multiple people in your ears. <laughs>
0: I was going to say. So when they do that, is that distracting at all? Because it, it seems you, like uh, you you
1: you learn to you learn to work with it. That's why so not, like not everybody can be a, not everybody can be a referee. It's an incredibly tough job.
0: You got so much going on. Plus, you have to, you know, you got to make the communication with the wrestler, but the fans can't know you're making the communication with the wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you basically kind of like, uh, like you said before, like an on field coach or something like that, as you're kind of coaching the guys along. So, when they're giving you the information in the ear, let's say time cues and stuff, did the wrestlers react? I mean, like, how does that go down? Or do they have to, you know, they have to be smooth? as well you know what i mean like there's got to be some sort of communication without people knowing it's communication but they also have to hit their time cues Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, no you just you relate to them and the pros they they get it they absorb it and they adjust what if they adjust if need be
0: did you ever have any like stories of of problems where like oh crap i missed my time cue or or Terry Taylor's yelling in my ear or or something like like any sort of not a crazy story, but an interesting story as far as being a ref and trying to get the time cues communicated to the guys.
1: And no, they're always going to yell, but like I said, it, it's your job as a referee to to take it, process it, relay it in a calm manner to where it doesn't freak the talent out. No, They're, people, they're always going to be yelling. The biggest thing I can say is there's, there's no feelings there. Just leave all feelings. Nothing's personal. Leave it aside. It's, it's about business and getting the television show uh, out there and getting the television show off the air on time.
0: So, have you had an experience where they missed their cue or or something happened where it didn't go right? Nope.
1: <laughs> really? No. No, not not that I can recall. No, absolutely not.
0: Well, that's pretty good. Is that yeah. how you become like the head referee? Pardon? Is that how you become like the head referee, no mistakes, making sure everybody hits their
1: cues? No, a lot of it is just time that you've put in, uh, trust factor. You know how long you've been there, uh, the rapport that you have with the talent and the coaches. Yeah.
0: Who gives you the you know, the nod? Is that Triple H saying, "Hey, we want you to be the head ref"?
1: Uh, that's him that signs off on it, but it, it's Matt Bloom, the head coach.
0: So how does that go down? How does he kind of communicate to you? Like, how does that, the the whole story go down where he's going to make you above everyone else, the head? Uh, Basically, the head coach of the uh, the referees
1: uh, at the time, Danilo and who was the senior official, he got called up to SmackDown, and I mean, it was very simple. It wasn't no big moment or anything. Uh, coach Bloom was just like, "Hey, ball's all yours. You know, you lead this team, and and uh, you guys know what you got to do. Let's take care of business." And I just always wanted to make sure that he didn't have to worry about us. That he just always knew and trusted that we were going to have everything taken care of. And he has enough to he has enough to deal with as far as the hundred plus talent. So <laughs> we just want to make sure it was all taken care of. What are the responsibilities of a head ref? Uh, well, you, you know, you make this, you make a, uh, the scheduling, the assignments, uh, who's doing ring crew on what loops as well. Uh, you're basically a liaison between the other refs and the office if need be. Um, you know, but really I always wanted to make sure that, that we were a team, you know, we all, we all had the different, different traits that we brought to the table. Um, but you know you just you you relay everything from them to the office and you just kind of if, if things fall apart the heat's on you
0: <laughs> right it never goes on the wrestler right yeah for sure with the scheduling i didn't realize that you guys are in charge of re- the ring and ring crew as well yes sir didn't realize that interesting so
1: yeah the referee they're they're the first ones there with the the lighting guys and the, the audio the audio techs video techs you know, a typical day. You know, you'll load in. We'll we'll start at you know eight or nine a.m. You um, you build the ring with the local stage hands. You'll be finished by noon. Sometimes one. Uh, go go hit the gym. Get a bite to eat. Maybe grab a power nap at the venue, and then um, get the card printed out. And you have a you have the live event that night. You're in four or five matches. Then you tear down the ring, you get it loaded up, you get on the bus, you get a few hours sleep, you're on the next town, do it all again next day.
0: Wow. Tough job being a referee.
1: Yes, yep.
0: So are you the one that tells like, hey, you know, you're working this match, I'm working the main event. Like you're the one who actually t- tells which ref is getting which match or is that more the producer?
1: I it, it's, it depends. Like if it's like a takeover or something big like that, then, you know, we would go with, like, which ref has the best chemistry with, with certain talent. If there was a special request from the producers. I mean, there's a number of factors that goes into that.
0: What do you think about the Performance Center just in general? Because a lot of people have complaints like, oh, it hasn't created the stars that we thought it would create. But there's been a lot of guys that came out of there and have been on the main roster. So it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of 50-50. Did it create stars or did not? What do you think about the Performance Center? Uh,
1: I mean as a whole it's i mean it's it's like the walmart the super walmart of pro wrestling you know i came up in the barns and indiana and those kind of training schools where there was no air conditioning there was dust all over the ring and there was broken boards and stuff like that and then you come into the performance center and everything is nice and pristine and top of the line gym equipment and there's promo rooms and edit bays and you know nice Sanitized locker rooms and all this stuff. So, uh, I, I think it's in a way, it's it's great to see how much the business has evolved, but also it can just grow into way too much. In 2014, when I came there, there was 50 talent max. Um, by the time I left, there was over 125, um, wow. and it's you know just really, there's it really outgrew the the facility, <laughs> I guess. But um, no, it's you know it's a vision come to life, so. it's it's one way or the other. Because
0: it seems like, you know, like you coming from, let's say you start at the bottom, you work your way up, like you said, working in barns, working in gyms, you work in web. It almost seems like it's too nice. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of the wrestlers let's say like even steve austin let's say back in that, i mean he's starting off in the sportatorium mm-hmm. no like you said no air condition he's trained you know there, there's it's almost like a little do you think a little spoiled like it's like man you go there it's like an nfl facility basically
1: well for the guys that came in there that didn't come from the business and then you know we would do a a, a two-hour trip to lakeland and come back for class the next day and you would hear people complain i'm like we used to drive 14 hours for 50 bucks and cut our foreheads like this is you know this is like this is the best life ever like what are you complaining about so uh, i do think in that way there is a little bit of spoiling and you know i think sometimes you gotta let people get out there i always thought like i thought it was great whenever nxt started sending people to evolve so way they could kind of get a taste of what the independents were like uh to where there's not you know everything's not kind of handled for you, you know, in NXT, when you, if you travel somewhere, when you land, you have a bus there waiting for you that takes you to a hotel that has prepaid meals and catering already there for you, that, that bus will take you to the venue, they will get a gym pass for you, like everything is super handled and laid out for you, um, the first time I traveled out of the country for independent wrestling in 2006, I went to Germany with twenty dollars in my pocket i got the booking on myspace certainly didn't have an international phone when i landed there i had no idea who was picking me up and i had no idea where to go and i figured it out you know there's there's times where you just got to get out there and and stuff like that will make you appreciate where you where you get that you know you get that baby treatment at nxt yeah
0: it's like kid gloves big time yeah for sure for sure when it's going on like with the performance center and, and NXT and and they're not having that experience do you think it's almost too cookie cutter ish you know what i mean they're they're really not getting the real wrestling experience you think it's going to almost be uh, a detriment
1: to them in in a certain aspect mm. i mean yeah they whenever they're doing live events i mean they were they would travel and they would have to set up the ring and all that so i mean there's there's a due paying process that happens within that system. So I, I wouldn't say it's too terribly cookie cutter.
0: How is your relationship at this point? And when you're in NXT and you're the head of for triple H, how is he? And how was your relationship? Cause this is his baby, right? NXT is all his.
1: Oh, awesome. Awesome. Always had a great relationship. Did
0: you ever have any issues or anything with him?
1: Never. Not one bit. No, we, uh, it was always really positive. Um, you know, he, I remember when our third child was born, him and Stephanie sent us, sent us gifts to the house for the baby and everything. And, um, you know, it's, I uh, had the opportunity to referee his match at WrestleMania. And, uh, that was an incre- incredibly special moment. So no, always, always had, always got on great with Triple H.
0: How did that come about? The refereeing of the match? Is that something that he brings to the table? and He says he wants you to do it.
1: Yeah, that's all him. I mean, <laughs> that's the, that's nobody else. I mean, he's the boss. uh, but, you know, I, I happened to be at the Performance Center when they were rehearsing the match, and he asked me to get in the ring because they had some stuff they wanted to go over. And um, I took some bumps from Ronda Rousey. And, and and like, a couple of days later, I got a phone call that I was actually going to rep the match. And we you know, were there at the Performance Center each and every single night for, you know, a lot of times till 10, 11, midnight, uh, you know, going over everything and rehearsing and training and, it was it was that was a really cool memory to be be a part of that whole process of, of having that match come together.
0: That's pretty cool to be right there in in the thick of it in this huge, you know, match for for Rousley, this huge match for Triple H, just a yeah. huge match in, in general. It had a lot of mainstream uh, Stephanie yeah. and Kurt I mean had a lot of mainstream attention.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was awesome. And I remember after the match happened uh it, it was really cool afterwards that you know, I, I went up to Hunter to thank you for the match and uh, it was the first time he ever, like, hugged me. He, like, brought me in. He put his big paws around my face. He's like, I'm so happy you were out there with me. That was such a great time. And, um, you know, that just meant a lot. Like, that's something that I'll, I'll always remember as, as a great memory. Like, I, dude, I ref WrestleMania. Like, that's awesome. Multiple times. But that match was really special.
0: And it's a main event level match, too. I mean, that was a huge match for that show. One of the biggest on the of that card, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Stephanie was really gracious. Ronda was awesome. Kurt was great. It, it was a fantastic time. It really was. What other WrestleMania matches have you refed? Oh, I had Tony Nese versus Buddy Murphy at WrestleMania 35 at uh, MetLife. Uh, opening match, Cruiserweight title, man, they tore the house down. That was awesome. Uh, the WrestleMania at the Performance Center, I, I had uh, Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn for the Intercontinental title. So that was obviously a unique WrestleMania with no crowd in attendance. Um, so, yeah, and, and I got to be a part of a couple of the Battle Royals as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's some great memories, man. I'm very fortunate for those.
0: Isn't that weird, though? No crowd, if, if like for a year, basically, of no crowd. I mean, that's got to be weird for not only the, the wrestlers, but for the refs, too, because the, yeah. communication, the communication usually kind of have the crowd getting, you know, silencing some of the noise. But it's got to be hard for you to communicate when there's literally nothing. You, you can hear the fan when they were in the performance. You can hear the fan going.
1: Yeah, and then whenever you come counting for your false finishes, and there's no crowd reaction, it's it's definitely something you get used to.
0: Man, it just, I know that it was a great like thought on their part, like we got to get content out there. Yeah, but in some aspect it, it hurt big time because it was so boring in some aspects to watch because you're so <laughs> used to you know for 35 years whatever you have been watching wrestling, I'm so used to right. the crowd reaction.
1: Absolutely,
0: it was a change. Now, what's your relationship like now with Triple H? Any relationship whatsoever? Have you talked to him recently, or and or no, incommunicado? No, zero, none. Don't talk at all. <laughs> that relationship's gone. So when the the release happens, I know that before that you were kind of expressing some, you know, some things you were not happy with backstage. Was that more towards him, or more towards some of the practices of what was going on backstage, or what was your issues with, but like behind the scenes in WWE?
1: No, nothing towards him at all. Uh, my my issue was when it came to a head during the whole COVID thing, they had a lot of they had a lot of very strict regulations per se. And I understood it for a while, but then it got to the point in March, I believe it was, where somebody had tested positive on the SmackDown roster and so they called everybody on every roster. Uh, and they said, "Hey, we we need everybody to to quarantine and stay at home this whole entire weekend. Self isolate. Don't go out into any crowds or this, that, and the other." And it w- it happened to be Bike Week, so I think they were worried about people going out and partying and all that stuff. And and I said to you know my supervisor, who was Scott Armstrong, I said, "Scott, you know, I can tell you one thing. I'm definitely not going to go to Bike Week. I haven't been around this person that tested positive. I'm not sick." I don't have any symptoms i've tested negative and i'm going to go to church i'm going to go to the walk for life because i was had a commitment to be in the walk for life which benefited the central florida pregnancy center an incredible place that uh, that is very active and and saving a lot of babies and helping moms and dads uh through unexpected pregnancies Uh, so i'm going to be at that uh i coach my son's baseball team i'm i'm going to go coach his baseball team uh his baseball game um and yeah but i'm not going to go out partying like a lot of people that are probably going to go do but i'm going to go a exercise my first amendment right to to gather and assemble and my freedom of religion and as, as a christian man i have a duty to honor god and if uh, if a man is telling me hey don't go to church because you might possibly get sick um no i have no interest in doing that i'm I'm going to go with my commitment to go to church Like you're telling me not to go to church because of possible, because of, because of this virus has a 99% survival rate. And so then I got suspended for going to church. Uh, and then they, they, uh, they had this edict come down. They were really pushing the vaccines hard and look, I, whatever your opinion is is of vaccinations. If you want to get them great. Uh, but the way they were pushing it and, and just this kind of narrative that, You know, oh, if you want to get back to normal, you better roll up your sleeve. And this is our shot in the arm to get back out there. And then they put down this edict of, you know, you either take the vaccine, show proof of vaccination or you wear your mask. Um, And first off, the whole wearing masks and TV tapings, it was all parade and theater. It was pointless. Like we would wear masks to come into the building. They would take our temperature. We'd sign this waiver. um, And then we would take our mask off to get in the ring and what COVID doesn't spread when they are in the ring, like the rings, the invisible barrier. Like it made no sense. It was pointless. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I was like, I'm not taking the vaccine. I'm not wearing a mask anymore. Like I've had enough, you know, I got attacked for being, you know, for being a conservative, for being a Christian, all this stuff. Like they like to, to talk a lot about inclusion and diversity, but if you happen to be a Christian, you happen to be conservative, um, then, then, you're not included in that, in that inclusion that they like to speak about. So it came to a head and we parted ways. And, you know, I got to tell you for the longest time during the last six, seven months, my heart wasn't in it at all. You know, I was merely just coming there for the paycheck and, you know, I was just praying, praying to God. I was like, God, if I'm not supposed to be here, just close this door. Um, and, and he closed that door right away. And man, I've been incredibly blessed since I've never been happier. Like so many other doors have been open. It's, it's, it's been amazing. It really has. And it's just to hear how they're treating people and how they're pushing this, forcing this vaccine onto all the talent. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's sad. It's absolutely sad.
0: Who is the one that gives you the release or do you quit? Like, how does that go? Uh, Well,
1: for the last three, whenever governor DeSantis lifted all the, all the local restrictions here, Um, me and a couple other guys were like, okay, we're not wearing masks anymore. And I guess I was the only one that kind of stuck to my word. (laughs) I came in and I was like, guys, look, these restrictions are done. It's absolutely done. Like, why are we still doing this? Like, I'm literally going to go right there and then I'm going to take my mask off. Like, it's just, this is absolutely stupid. And, uh, so I just, you know, I was civilly disobeying, I guess, for a little while. And they were upset that I spoke at school boards and, and stuff about the about the mandates on children and and uh, you know I, I knew it was coming to a head uh, but it eventually came from from Canyon Seaman. It was the one who gave me the the final the final goodbye.
0: I know you don't pay any attention to wrestling now, but did you hear that he was released?
1: I just heard that yesterday. Holy what did cow! Th-
0: what would you think about that?
1: Absolutely shocked. Absolutely shocked. The amount of releases, it's absolutely shocking. It's, it's crazy. I think, you know, ever since the, I believe it's the NBC Universal people took over, there's just been a whole shift and change in that company that really has. You know, I it's just they, it was different for so many years at NXT, man. We were really like a, we were really like a team. I mean, you go back to those early days, that 20, you know, 14, 15, 16 roster, you know, you had like guys like Jason, you know, like American Alpha and Revival, Baron Corbin, you know, uh, Finn Balor, Shinsuke, Samoa Joe, you know Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, all all these incredible talent. We were from all different aspects of life, but man, we we wanted to make NXT like the top brand. You know, we were like the the rebels of WWE, and we wanted to stand out, just go out and steal the show each and every single night. We were, you know, for lack of a better term, we were a team. Uh, somewhere along the way, you know, I, and it happened whenever this you know scam demic came upon us. You know the 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 team atmosphere was lost and it became all about, I don't know, it became all about individuality and, and just this whole, you know, this whole woke cancel culture crap just started to infiltrate in. And, um, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous, man. It really was. I, there was just a whole shift and change and it. I don't know. It just ruined the whole atmosphere backstage. It became a lot more for, it became a lot more like work. You know, you felt like you were really going to work every day. You know, when you're making a living wrestling, yes, you're going and you're working your butt off. But it it, it shouldn't feel, you know, like, oh, God, I'm going to go here again today. Oh, this is ridiculous. You know, it, it should be enjoyable. It became so much more like work.
0: With the release, when Canyon calls you, you're expecting it or you shocked by it at all? You knew
1: you knew it was coming. Not shocked at all. I'm surprised it took him so long. <laughs> and, and you surprised- didn't care absolutely not i couldn't have been more happy could not have been more happy
0: so what was like the reasoning what was the rationale what did he say because you know sometimes they give you that corporate answer or sometimes they don't give you an answer at all so what did he say like what was the reasoning or the rationale behind it budget cuts really that was it okay (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i tell you that my salary was a blimp on the radar to them it wasn't budget cuts i knew yeah look canyons always been a shoot, straight shooter with me i've always been a straight shooter with him uh he, you know toward the end we you know we had some very i would say intense discussions but i told him i'm not going to bend on where i stand i know you guys are not going to bend on where you stand um it obviously had nothing to do with my ability or anything in the ring like that so, you know the, the past few weeks prior to that i Ref big matches. I mean, it was it wasn't anything to that degree. Um, I think it ultimately it came from this, you know, this vocal minority on the internet, and like I said, this 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 woke culture. And if you don't follow a certain narrative, then they try to quote unquote cancel you. But it just released the burdens that I had there. It really did. And and like God has opened up so many doors since then. And you know, there's there's some people there that I know share the same thoughts as me. I don't know. You know why they maybe they're just they want to hold on to the paycheck i get it totally get it um but in my eyes like at some point you're gonna have to take a stand and if you don't stand for something you're gonna fall for everything and you gotta you gotta have some courage um i felt convicted in the way i felt and and you know i i felt at some point you know you got to stand up and and stand for what you believe in and what was going on was absolute garbage in my eyes and, you know, if you, if you have courage, your courage will be rewarded. And my courage has absolutely been rewarded ever since. Did
0: you believe him for a second about the budget cut thing? Or you told no, him about I, how you I, know, I know he's full of it? God,
1: no, no, absolutely not. He knew I didn't believe him. He's got, he had to do his job. I can't believe he got released. Like, that's still a shock to me. Seems he, like.
0: Uh, Nick Khan, is, who's kind of been put in charge of a lot of these releases, even though they're a billion dollar company turning huge profits, seems like they're definitely you know, out to cut a lot of people. I don't know why he was cut specifically, but uh, yeah, yeah he is, uh, he, like a lot of Triple H's guys seem to be going.
1: Yeah, I know. That's 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 what it looks like. A lot of the, the Hunter and Regal guys uh, are gone. So, yeah, uh, that's wild, no, man. That's wild. Well, Carano,
0: too, is another Triple H guy pardon mark carano got released yeah. too, another triple h guy
1: yeah yeah i always had a good relationship with mark you know he was always good to me always took care of me um uh, but yeah like i said man the, the, the culture changed there um i mean he got to the point where i you know i got demoted just for just for being just for being white like it's wild
0: do you think that vince is like for it against it doesn't
1: care is he doing the corporate
0: thing like where
1: does he stand in all this has nothing to do with it. He's just he's the he's he's the boss. There's so many other people uh, that are that are puppeteers. You know, it's it's him at the top. But there's so many other micromanagers that are calling the day to day.
0: Does it have a lot to do with them being a public company? You think that 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 also and the, the Peacock relationship and NBC and and the Fox deal? Do you think that has a lot to do with it as well? Because mm-hmm. Vince used to be like the guy that would fight all this stuff.
1: Yeah, when NBC came along, everything changed. Everything changed.
0: You think for the worst or for, I mean, financially, it seems to be working for them. But do you think Mm -hmm. as far as their integrity, you think that it's hurt at all by what's going on? Uh, I mean,
1: I I would say so. I mean, they're pushing a lie and deception that, you know, that this this vaccine is the ticket to get back to normal. And they're backed by some corporate agenda. It's like a globalist cabal type thing that they're pushing. You know, this vaccine has killed more people than it's been reported on. Uh, you know, it's not FDA approved. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's evil that they're forcing talent to get back. Help, perfectly healthy people. A lot of them have already had this virus. They already have the natural antibodies. And the company is, they're, not, they're forcing them into submission to be able to take, to have to take this vaccine. Either take this vaccine or we're, you're not going to be able to go on the road. Take this vaccine or you're not going to be able to go on a European tour. It's absolutely evil. It's evil plain and simple. They're no, their integrity is gone.
0: Is that like a edict by them? Is that something that's saying it's like mandatory? What is like their stance on it? Like you have to get the vaccine.
1: Yeah. Or, or you don't travel and you eventually get fired. If you speak out against it, you're definitely getting fired. Absolutely. If you have any kind of contrary opinion, you're getting fired. I knew I, as soon as the first time I saw a WWE vaccine commercial, I knew I was like, I gotta get the hell out of here. This is this is I cannot be a part of this. And you know, I had I had for a long time I had the pleasure of, of booking the extra talent and now they're forcing enhancement talent to, to to get this death jab in order to have a chance to try out. You know, I just you know, people have asked me, Oh shit, I don't know, I don't want to take this fast. And I was like, Don't go there. Go go work for another company. Go try to go somewhere else. Go somewhere else that's gonna respect your medical freedom.
0: Can they force it on extras and and their talent and like is that something that legally they can do?
1: I mean they're probably i probably, I guess legally they can. Morally it's uh, it's awful. It really is. Cuz
0: I was hearing rumors from, from some guys backstage but from even some of the dirty guys were saying that okay, this guy has been off TV and then you look like oh they have been off TV. They wouldn't get vaccinated. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is it a punishment by them for some oh, of the yeah.
1: guys that are on TV? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have any kind of vaccine hesitancy, uh, you, you're going to look down and be frowned upon. And then if you have the guts to actually say anything about it, you're, you're out the door. Look at me. I mean, there's crew guys that have been fired for speaking out against this this experimental vaccine that they're pushing down their throats.
0: Because if you pay close attention, there's some people that aren't on TV right now mm-hmm. that maybe have spoken out or even liked a tweet. And people went crazy that they liked the, the person's tweet or something. But there's been a few of them. And they were either off TV for a while, maybe they're not on TV now. I mean, I, you start to notice. You're like, oh, I wonder if that's some sort of agenda or something that WWE is not letting them come back unless they get a vaccine or something of that
1: nature. Who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, it's 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 such a double standard and hypocrisy, you know. And look, nobody has to take it. They can go work elsewhere. They can go find another job. They can go do something else. But uh, for for WWE to just Put this out there like you you have to take this if you want to be a, continue to be a part like, you, you know, there's people that have worked their whole entire lives. They get there. They have a great run. And all of a sudden they have to be confronted with this decision to either take this vaccine that could be against their, their personal their personal choice. That could be against their religious liberty. Like it's against my religious liberty as a, as a Christian man to take those vaccines. They have aborted fetal tissue in there. I don't I'm I'm against the slaughter of innocent children. I'm not going to take that vaccine. So you know, therefore, I'm out, and I get that fine. But it's just it's it's wrong and it's evil for them to be able to push that upon people. It's awful.
0: Just to play devil's advocate, if you're WB, it's -hmm. your company. You think that it's okay that they can enforce their own rules? Because technically, you know, if you don't want to work, follow the rules, you don't work there. You know what I mean? Just to play the other side, do you think that that's okay?
1: If if that's the rules you're gonna that you're gonna set. Sure, absolutely, like you said, we can go work elsewhere. Uh, but the fact that that's a rule that they're pushing set, especially when the owner of the company is supposed to be a conservative, a conservative freedom loving patriot, and he's pushing this tyrannical communist nonsense, or who, or he's allowing people to push this tyrannical nonsense, then yeah, that's it's 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 terrible. It really is. You know, such a double standard as well. You know, I saw. You know, Linda McMahon got on Fox News talking about the the censorship of of conservatives online and speaking up very favorably about how, you know, how conservatives have been shadow banned for having any kind of opinion whatsoever that's contrary to this liberal agenda. But at the same time, the company that that her husband runs is is forcing people into submission to to, to take this this vaccine. No, it's it's awful. It is such a double standard, such a double standard. You know, all, all of last year talent raised money to literally bail out rioters and looters that burned down cities and and injured people and you know encouraged to support this blm incorporated marxism but heaven forbid if you like a tweet from president trump or if you think america's great or anything of the sort of like that oh oh you're a racist or you're a you're a you're a nazi like it's just it's it's ridiculous it is it's a double standard man it's 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 awful the the first amendment's gone there it really is
0: were you getting a lot of heat backstage before the release? Were people kind of saying stuff to you? Were you because you were very vocal about a lot of the things? So nobody said you,
1: anything to my face.
0: Wow. Okay. No, so maybe a quiet heat magnet. Maybe
1: I, I don't know. Everybody, I got along with the people that I got along with to the to the last to the last day. Always great because at the end of the day, whatever your beliefs are outside of that building, when you come there, it doesn't matter if you're liberal, independent, Democrat, Republican. Uh, whatever it may be, we're there to do business. That's what it should be. It shouldn't matter. Um, There were people that were way on the opposite end of the agenda in the the political and faith spectrum than I was. It didn't matter to me when we got in the ring and we got in the building, we're there to do business. Uh, So, you know, but if you have any kind of opinion outside of that, outside of that building that goes against the narrative, you know, then, then, for some reason you're a heat magnet. Like I give my, I gave 20 years of my life to this business and seven years to that company. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, just because, just because I'm a conservative, just because I'm a Christian, um, you know, I, I, all of a sudden have this, this, this false, false appearance that I was a heat magnet, but Hey, Bible says we're going to be hated for loving him, man. So I consider it pure joy and I know my true friends, I, you know, and so, um, Hey, if people don't want to be friends with me because because of that. then they weren't they weren't friends to begin with. So I'm better off without. them.
0: Gotcha. You think politics and wrestling need to be separated, let's say, not talked about at the show? Or, or do you think their personal beliefs or your personal beliefs, you're allowed to to bring it up? It's your
1: personal beliefs, but it was never talked about at the show. It, okay. Nobody ever talked about it at the show. We left it. We, we left it at the door. It's these snowflakes that that look at what you do outside of the business. If you're involved in any kind of any any kind of activism or anything of the sort, then uh, then they want to or have a been. I got stooged on Somebody stooged on me because I, I didn't wear a mask outside of work on my own personal time because I didn't put a face diaper on when I was out in public. Somebody stooge on me said they weren't good. Dude, this business used to be about only the strong survive, the tough survive. And you're, you're going to be, you're going to stooge on somebody for not wearing a mask. Like, it got really soft and weak. It really did.
0: Do you know who it was that did it or you have no idea? Uh,
1: I, I have suspicions, but I, I'm, it's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter at this point. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm released from those burdens, man. And you know, I hope the people that are still there, you know, stay strong, great but you know he said you're asking me about my experiences toward the end I'm being honest with you
0: now as we hit the wind down we head towards the finish here overall very unhappy with kind of the way things turned out in WB do you wish or regret anything or you wish you did something different or you wish they did something different like what are your thoughts on how it ended any regrets
1: there mm. no no man it's I you know, for a while I was kind of exploring other options. And honestly, one thing I was a little, I was a little hesitant to just pull the trigger and just outright quit. Uh, you know, I, for half my, over half my life wrestling has been my main source of income and, and, and that's all I knew. So I was, it was very hesitant for me to kind of go elsewhere. So I was, you know, otherwise I would have ended it sooner. Um, but I, kept trying to hang on, but at the same time, I felt conflicted, um, I, you know, I guess I should have had more faith and just told them to pound sand way earlier on. Um, but it all worked out incredibly. Um, you know, the God I serve is a great God. I'm in a fantastic position now, and I'm learning so much more outside of the business, and I'm still involved in the business. And, you know, the, the shows that I'm doing here and there were promoters that, you know, will reach out to me and have me come in. It's to where it makes sense for me and it's to where it's fun and none of this woke garbage is involved in it It's just about wrestling and going there and having a great show And it's my opportunity to give back to the business as well and do so in a great way, you know, and there's a lot of people that That I spilled blood for 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 many years that don't want anything to do with me now um, you know be because of this this cancel culture crap and hey that's just fine because um, I, God has closed that door for a reason. And, uh, man, there's exciting things on the horizon for me coming up.
0: How does that make you feel, though, not being able to get bookings Some like some places or those people? They don't want to deal with you because of political beliefs, nothing to do with wrestling ability, nothing to do with that. Like, how does that make you feel? Because like we're saying, maybe those two things don't go together. But according to some of the people, they're putting them together and they're, they're
1: kind of holding you back from certain bookings, right? Hey, like, like I said, it goes back to the double standard. If you're, if you're a far left, if you're a far left liberal, and you, ex- and you, you blatantly talk about that, no problem at all. But if you happen to be a God fearing conservative that stands up for the right to life and, and and, and believes in America first policies, oh my gosh, you're evil. We can't have anything to do with you. Oh, you're, you're against human trafficking. You're against abortion. Oh, you're awful. No. So, in my eyes, it's better off that I'm not heavily involved. I have no a i've done everything i could ever do in wrestling b i have no desire to go head first like to being full-time in this ever again um and see man i have got so much more going on outside of wrestling like it it, how does it make me feel hey man i'm grateful that it is so apparent that 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 door is closed and i don't need to be a part of it anymore I'm grateful for the time that I did put in and anytime that I do in wrestling now, like I said, it's going to be where it makes sense for me. It's where I can get back and where I can have fun.
0: So what's next for you? I know you're thinking about entering the podcast world and, and kind of doing your own thing and, and not having to deal with, you know, any sort of cancel culture obviously, but what's going on with the latest with you? What do you got coming up?
1: There is a podcast in the works. Um, uh some news to be out there about that very soon. i also have a big announcement coming out that I can't leak whatsoever here. Uh, When the time is right, that announcement will be made. Uh, I'm involved in daily wrestling as well. We just had a show, like I said, in Pompano beach. Um, I'm learning some new trades outside of wrestling in civilian life. And I am, you know, married to an incredibly beautiful smoking hot woman. We have three amazing kids. We have a beautiful home in Florida. I got two golden retrievers. Um, and and I am I am serving Jesus Christ the best I can each and every single day. Life is good, man. And I am unmasked, unvaccinated, unafraid, and I'm uncanceled.
0: Not retired, right, from wrestling. You will continue to wrestle.
1: <laughs> I keep telling myself I don't want to do it anymore, but then I then I have a match and it's fun. And I'm like, ah, I can't totally quit. <laughs> So
0: where can everybody find you? What's the social media? Where can everybody, if they wanted to follow you or whatever? Yes, uh, on
1: Instagram, you can find me at the Drake Wertz. Uh, That's uh, at T-H-E-D-R-A-K-E-W-U-E-R-T-Z. You can find me under my real name on Facebook. Look, if you want to just troll me and if you just obsessively just post trolling comments on each and every single post and attacking other people, you're going to get blocked and banned. If you want to just if you want to post something here and there, if it's the opposite opinion of me, great. But if you're just obsessively trolling, like you're going to get banned. Uh, I'm also this upcoming weekend. I'll, I will be appearing for D 365 promotions. Uh, check out there. That'll be up in uh, Queens, New York, Flushing to be exact. Uh, so I'm excited to go back up to the Northeast. Uh, but yeah, you can find me at the Drake work on the Drake works on Instagram, Drake works on Facebook. I do have my pro wrestling T store. where you can find some of my classic deathmatch shirts. Uh, just look up uh, pro prowrestlingtees.com/slash/drake younger and stay tuned, man. Some bits some big steps on the horizon.
0: All right, awesome stuff. Thank you, Drake, so much uh, for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank oh, you. Yeah, we we went a long time. Yes. Hope hopefully not too long for
1: you. <laughs> no, it's just fine. Thanks for having us.
0: brother.